0: Listener supported. WNYC Studios.
1: Every time you press the red button, it's with the hope that something wonderful will happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And then there's that imperative, thats human imperative, the wish to share these vibrations with other sentient beings because in the act of sharing, it's like we're all resonating again together with the environment, with the world around us.
0: Hi, welcome to Universe of Art, a podcast from Science Friday and WNYC Studios about artists who use science to take their work to the next level. I'm Science Friday producer, Dee Peterschmidt. So something we always think about at Science Friday is how do we bring sound to the stories we're covering? It might be hard to capture a scientific discovery just through words or convey environmental change without visuals. And then there are other stories where you really don't have to worry about that at all. Today we're featuring an interview with science radio pioneer Jim Metzner, who spent over 40 years recording soundscapes of human life and nature from all over the world, and then featuring them on the long-running program Pulse of the Planet. And now his entire collection is going to the Library of Congress, so even more people will be able to enjoy the sounds of science. And before we get to that, I'm here with the producers of this segment, Rasha Aridi and John Dankosky, to talk about. How it came together nice to see you both hey d oh. so john we can always rely on you to bring us cool sound art stories have you made any of your own soundscapes before Uh, great question i i've
2: done a lot of sound recording in the environment myself over the years i think my very first radio story back a very long time ago was a visit to a, a creek that was running by a power plant and coming back with way too much sound of a, of a stream running by. Right. And so I've always been interested in capturing uh, nature sounds and I do a lot of that stuff for fun myself, Mm. uh, just as a, as a hobby as well. So I I'm always on the outlook
0: for that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Rasha, what, what really attracted you to this segment? What was kind of your favorite part about it?
3: Yeah. So I really love any way I can incorporate sound. Basically my entire reporting career so far has been, during covid and so i never got to go out into the field so anytime hmm. i can get my paws on something that sounds beautiful i'm all game for it and you know i talked to jim meckler the guest for this um, before we recorded with john for about an hour and a half just kind of thinking oh, his wow. brain over production with him yeah he just had so many lessons to share and philosophy of what it comes to sound recording. And for me, as a sort of a newbie in this industry, it was really amazing hmm. to hear from that.
0: Yeah. Um, Jim Metzner talks about like how the effect of these soundscapes would be lessened if there were video accompanying them, that they're just more powerful when you're listening to the audio. Is that something either of you relate to?
2: I think so, Dee. I mean, look, I I've been... Working in radio for a very long time, and every time I work in television for even a short period of time, it always seems to take an edge off of people's ability to listen to anything, whether or not it's listening to the answers that someone is giving in a sit down interview or listening to the world around them. A a lot of times, television producers don't take audio all that terribly seriously, but radio producers do. And I, I know, Rasha, that's one of the things that, that attracts you to this. It's just the the idea that you can tell a story just by what you're hearing around you. And you don't even need all that many words. You certainly don't even need pictures.
3: Yeah. It's kind of like that idea of, you know, if you're sitting in a dark room without light, you start picking up on the tiny sound, you know, the sound the pipes are making or the hum of the the radiator in the corner. So I feel that way when it comes to radio too, that when you kind of are just focusing on what you're hearing, you're a little more in tune to it instead of like your brain kind of being pulled in a couple of different directions. So anytime sound mm-hmm. can kind of capture people and hold them in that way, is, I feel like pretty powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. And also maybe powerful in a negative way, like the construction going outside <laughs> outside of your Never apartment.
3: Never ending construction in New York <laughs> <Yeah>. City, Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so John has made his own sa- soundscapes before. Have you made your own soundscapes, Russia?
3: I haven't. This is a goal of mine in this next year. It's <laughs> to go out with a microphone and figure it out. But uh, hopefully somewhere that's not, you know, just... Loud dirty streets of New
2: York City, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, Rasha. But but it's it's an opportunity too. I and mean, one way to think about the construction sound outside your window is this is uh, annoying. This is so loud. But another way to think about it is, well, what if I went outside with my microphone and I just tried to capture it, and then listen through, as you said before, to some of those changes in the jackhammers or the construction sounds, you do start to pick up. And I think Jim Messner. Shows us this in this piece You do start to pick up beauty In places where you would not think That there's beauty If you put on your headphones And listen back to the construction sound Divorced of all of the annoyance That comes with it you'll probably hear some really cool stuff in there. So, I don't know, maybe before it starts raining, go outside.
3: <laughs> I don't know if I want to voluntarily listen to any more of this construction work. <laughs> the problem. i just about had enough of it.
0: <laughs> okay, go, go find yourself on a nice stream somewhere then. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's listen to this segment. Thanks, both of you. Thanks.
3: Thank
0: you. And now, here's Science Friday Director of News and Audio, John Dankosky, interviewing sound artist Jim Metzner and you'll definitely want to listen with headphones for this one
2: I don't know about you but for years the alarm clock in my bedroom woke me up with my local public radio station and what voice did i hear very
1: first thing in the morning every summer in the mcneil river in alaska is filled with spawning salmon it's an annual feast that bears in this region have come to rely on i'm jim metzner and this is the pulse of the planet
2: And it wasn't just Jim's voice that eased me out of my sleep. It was the weird and wonderful sounds that he gathered from around our planet. Maybe your memory goes back even further to his show, The Sounds of Science, where his guests included Coco the gorilla.
3: She's nice to be with. She's got a sense of humor. She's very warm and outgoing.
1: And she is a gorilla. I'm Jim Metzner, and these are The Sounds of Science.
2: Jim Metzner is one of the pioneers of science radio, making field recordings and sharing them with audiences for more than 40 years. And now this time capsule of sound he's created, his entire collection, is going to the Library of Congress. Today we're going to talk with Jim about what he's learned about the natural world from endless hours of recordings and what we can all learn from listening. We're going to hear some of his favorite recordings too, so I don't know, if you can listen along with headphones, now might be a good time to put them on. Jim Metzner, welcome back to Science Friday.
1: Hi, it's a pleasure to be here, and I just wanted to tell you to put a bookend on it. You might have wakened with my voice, but my voice puts my wife to sleep every night.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I certainly appreciated waking up to your voice all those mornings on, on Pulse of the Planet. Of all the ways that you can tell a story, Jim, why do you think sound helps us understand the world around us so well?
1: Ooh, boy. That's, we could talk about that the whole the whole day. <laughs> it's such a great question. How does it that sounds grab you? Where do they hit you? They certainly hit me where I live. You know, there's a voice, but then there's the sound of my mother's voice. There's the sound of something that I grew up with. It's like a sound that came in and never left. Sounds are the touchstones To our emotional world, our emotional life. So that's part of it. They also seem to trickle down, you know, as if like there was like some cave inside. The sounds trickle down and go to places where words don't go. And they tell us things. I mean, you could be listening to somebody and you can tell as much by the sound of their voice as what they are
2: saying. I I wanted to actually play a sound here that that I know really resonated with you. It's it's the sound of a of a parrot and a girl laughing, Jim. Hello. So of course, I can't help but to laugh when I hear that. (laughs) Tell us about that sound.
1: I still smile and laugh every time I hear it, this recording. So it took place in Brazil, in Bahia. I was in Bahia in the 70s, I was in my twenties, and I stumbled upon this group of young women who were all clustered around another woman with a parrot. And they're talking back and forth. And you know, it was a serendipitous moment. I waltzed in and recorded it, and what the parrot saying I'm mad at, in Portuguese, of course, I'm mad at you. And the girl says, you're mad at me? Yeah, I'm mad at you. But <laughs> it's like, you know, the glee of this moment, you know, I think I could play this anywhere in the world and people would get it. There's something in that sound that just cracks everybody up.
2: Yeah. And, and that's, as you say, it, it sort of touches a place inside you that just hearing people talk isn't going to do. The, the sound of people's laughter is something that we have a physiological response to, Jim.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I bet you there's something about the sound itself, sans video, that just does it. I don't think a video would necessarily help. It's the sounds that carry that, that emotion.
2: So, so let's go back a little bit to the start of your series, Pulse of the Planet. It's this very popular series in which you've intertwined science and nature and culture in these really short, beautiful segments. They're on hundreds of public radio stations around the country. Do, do you have an idea of what the pulse of the planet is?
1: Is the pulse of the planet uh, what we hear on, on the daily news every day? I hope not. Underneath the sort of the tsunamis of the news, there's something else going on. There's the seasonal rhythms of nature. The whales are migrating. The cicadas are emerging, and so forth.
2: When you said that, the thing that resonated with me is I remember being in the in the rainforests in Costa Rica and feeling um, I don't know what to say. It's a vibration coming from around you, and as you listen, you hear millions of insects and birds and other animals and and people and motorbikes and the ocean waves and they're all coming together and it feels like this vibration of the earth. And if you think about, I mean at least for me, the pulse is not a regular glub dub glub dub that a human would have, but it's this rah, amazing vibration that's coming from everywhere.
1: Yes, indeed. And it's many it is diverse, it is varied. It's ever changing. So if you were in the rainforest, you'd notice that there was a different sound at night than in the morning, of course. Uh, And you don't have to go to the rainforest to hear that anyone in the country or I dare say the city as well. Sounds morph and change moment to moment. So take us through a
2: day of field recording. Like,
1: what What is it like when you
2: go out with a microphone? What are you carrying? Does anybody come with you? Just, I know, give us a little day in the life, because I, I think our listeners would really love to know how you go and capture the sounds, especially of the natural world.
1: Okay. I, very, I rarely use the word capture. I'll tell you why in a moment, but yeah. it's, a, it's a great question. I'd remind listeners that right now, for the first time in human history, virtually every one of us is carrying a sound recording device in our pocket. Yeah, and it makes a damn good recording. Mm-hmm. And so, go out today, take a sound walk, and you record the sounds. Please, listeners, try it. Whether you're, you know, interviewing uh, mom or grandpa or whoever, or just the sounds of the neighborhood, go on a journey of discovery. But if I go out with a recorder, there's no typical day, no typical day, and that's the beauty of sound recording. And I tend to be a bit more inclusive. I don't go out and say, I'm going to record a yellow-bellied sapsucker today or whatever. I mean, if I comes across my path, then great. But I usually, rarely, sometimes, however, I do go out and search for sounds. But more often than not, whatever comes up, my way is grist for the mill.
0: That was Science Friday Director of News and Audio, John Dankosky, talking to sound artist Jim Metzner. We'll be right back.
2: I I want to play another sound that you sent along to us as one of your favorites, and this is um, a sound that is very rich and varied. It was recorded in Grampians National Park in Victoria, Australia. Let's listen for a moment. And what are we hearing there?
1: Uh, so there I was in Grampians National Park, just west of Melbourne, a park that is run by Indigenous peoples. It was an extraordinary place, and one of the great visuals. It had nothing really to do with the sound, but I'll just tell you because it was just so out of the ordinary, I was surrounded by kangaroos. <laughs> I mean, they, they weren't making any sounds, but there they were. And then, of course, there were this, this canopy of trees and this immense textured panoply. I'm running out of adjectives to just try to describe it, because words only dance around what sounds do. They do so much better than words. But I think the challenge for me, and maybe other listeners too, is I see that typically, honestly, I don't know how to listen to the sounds of nature. I mean, it's wondrous at moments, but you know, if we're going to sit down and listen to you know a Bach concerto or you know a little bit of Mozart, you could give yourself ten minutes uh, to, for that, easy. Longer, maybe, but for sounds which are every bit as interesting and varied, we don't typically have that kind of training and experience. So I, I'm still learning how to listen to. And you can listen for species. Oh, that's a that's a, a a liar bird, for example, or or you could listen in another way to the to this orchestration. That's so
2: interesting the way that you just put that, Jim though, because by contrast, if you're listening to a Bach keyboard piece, the part of the context that's important to you is you know that that this man some hundreds of years ago wrote this piece, and it's been adapted and adopted, and all the context of it is, is also what you're listening to and for. But that sound that we just heard, we we might not know what any of the birds are that we just heard, but the sound itself clearly is, is beautiful. It speaks to a, a natural environment that we can potentially imagine in our minds. And it's just so evocative of, of something and hits us in a way that even without context, I think people might think is just stunningly beautiful.
1: I think so, too. And just following your line of thought, you could say, uh, you know, unlike Bach, who only put a year, uh, a mere 10 years into it, this is the result of a million years of <laughs> evolution that we're hearing right now. But, you know, it's been, they've been working on it for a long time.
2: Uh, I know. They're finally starting to get good at it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to ask you, with all of these sounds that you've collected over all of these years, They're now going to go into the Library of Congress. I mean, it's the most basic question in the world, but how does that make you feel? That must be an an amazing feeling to know that you've contributed so much and that people will be able to experience these sounds forever.
1: Yes. Recording is often a solo endeavor. You go into a booth, it's a solo endeavor. You know that a lot of people are listening, but that's sort of like an idea. To know that these vibrations will be heard, that's why I don't use the word capture these were uh, incredible gifts to me. I was extraordinarily honored to receive these sounds, to be the one who was uh, entrusted with them, and so the imperative to to share them. So how do you share them? That's in part up to the library. To me, I'm, I'm writing a book about my adventures called Adventures of a Lifelong Listener. So to answer your question, you know, it's like... I mean, every time you press the red button, it's with the hope that something wonderful will happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And then there's that imperative, that human imperative, the wish to share these vibrations with other sentient beings. Because in the act of sharing, it's like we're all resonating again together with the environment, with the world around us. So in the act of sharing and knowing that for centuries people will share in these uh, vibrations, it's a good feeling, but also I feel like I've I've fulfilled my part of the bargain that I was given this material, and now I've done my best to share it in a way that hopefully will reach across the gap.
2: I'm John Dankosky, and this is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. I'm talking with Jim Metzner, the host of Pulse of the Planet, about all the many recordings that he's made of our world. They're all going to the Library of Congress. I'd like to share one more sound that you brought us here, and I won't even set this up first. Let's just listen to to this sound that you've sent along.
0: Right now we're covering them with blankets and sheets, one to keep the sun off them and keep them moist, and also in some degree help them control their body temperature they can quickly overheat in a situation like this so we'll keep the water on keep them cool or in some cases if they go into shock they could start getting cold Um, in that case we'll use other things and put more blankets on and try to keep them warm
2: this is a good example jim of something where if you give people just a little bit of information or no information at all they can make up their own minds
1: tell us tell us where you recorded this sound i was in cape cod some years back just driving around, listening to the radio. And it was a call out to this ad hoc network of um, seat-of-your-pants animal rescuers, just uh, vigilante rescuers, anybody within the sound of the, uh, the voice of the announcer to come because there was a whale, pilot whales were beaching at this particular location. I thought, well, I'm near there. I'm going to show up. And I had my tape recorder with me. So they show up. And I'm with them, and, and they're trying to rescue these whales who have beached themselves for no apparent reason. One of these odd quandaries that we're still facing, why do whales beach? We really don't know. And so I joined them and saw that they were putting blankets on them to keep, just to see what this man was describing. And then they were trying to lift, getting blankets underneath them and and, and stretchers Uh, that they were jury rigging and taking them out and trying to get them out swimming again. And at a certain point, I just put down my microphone and and joined in. But for a moment, you know, to hear the sounds, to be with them and to look a whale in the eye from close up, which I never had that experience before was extraordinary. And to think that you were helping, how could you not want to help them and, and feel for them and see that the, the all of these people with the best of intentions were trying to do the best they could uh, to help these fellow creatures. Before
2: I let you go, Jim, quickly, I, I'd love to hear about your American Soundscapes project. It's a, it's a crowdsource project where people can submit their own special sounds. Can you tell us about
1: it? Thank you. American soundscapes.com. You can be among the first to check it out. It's in its beta form. So if you go, you'll see that there are some featured soundscapes from some professional sound recorders, some of the best sound recordists I know of. But the chance for anybody using that sound recording device that you have in your pocketbook or back pocket to go out, take that journey of discovery that we were speaking about earlier Go out and have your own journey that way and send it in. It doesn't have to be a, a whale rescue. It can be something as simple as the, the bells of the church in the town where you live, the sound that your grandfather makes whenever he picks up a heavy box, a word that only your family knows and is privy to, or whatever sounds that are in your home, your neighborhood, your environment or in your cultural group that are significant, that are emblematic, that are significant. They can be sounds of nature or culture, but share them with us. This American Soundscape Project is an opportunity for us to share our sounds with each other.
2: That's fantastic. Jim Metzner, thank you so much and congratulations. Thank you. Been a pleasure. Jim Metzner is a field recordist and radio producer based in Kingston, New York. His entire collection of sounds is going to the Library of Congress, but you can't listen to all of them there just yet, though. That much sound, it takes a while to upload.
0: Universe of Art is hosted and produced by me, D. Peterschmidt, and I also wrote the music. Charles Berquist and John Dankosky provided production assistance, and our show art is illustrated by Abel Hayford. The original segment you just heard was produced by Rasha Aridi and John Dankosky. And support for Science Friday's science and arts coverage comes from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Also, if you have an idea for a future episode of Universe of Art, send us an email or a voice memo to universe at sciencefriday.com. We'll be back in two weeks. See ya!